We talk a lot about success on this podcast, but let me ask you a different type of question. How do you handle setbacks? Believe it or not, how you handle life when things get rough is a better predictor, arguably, of success and life satisfaction than just about anything, which is why I brought on Dr. Nita Bouchon to the show. Now, Dr. Nita Bouchon is a world-renowned emotional health advocate and an expert in the areas of grit and resilience. And she's shared her thought leadership on international stages, including the Women's Economic Forum in India, Google HQ, Mind Valley's A-Fest, and so much more. You're going to love her story. She sold her large million-dollar cosmetic dentistry practice, helping people transform smiles to spark inner greatness. And as part of her own journey to become a leader in her field and a voice for immigrant women and women of color, she's traveled across 45 countries researching human behavior, ancient Eastern philosophy, and therapeutic psychology. And she's pulled together that learning along with other life experiences, overcoming multiple adversities, which include being orphaned at 19, surviving an abusive marriage, and extensive loss. These have really contributed to the powerful message of resilience and grit that she talks about today. She's an author of multiple books, including her newest book, That Sucked, Now What? This is a powerful episode as she breaks down how to handle the tough moments in life. Definitely make sure to stick around for this one because there were so many real, honest moments, and her story is powerful and profound. I hope you will really enjoy this episode because I know I did. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Nita Bouchon. Oh, man, Nita, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Um, I know we were talking a little bit right before I hit record about sort of the unspoken stuff that solopreneurs and entrepreneurs go through. Um, I didn't know about it when I started my business, sort of the emotional roller coaster I was going to be on. So I just feel like you've gone through a lot. You speak about this stuff a lot, and you have a lot of perspective that might be very helpful to a group of people who are so focused on numbers and achieving and performanceism and whatever we're chasing to get us to where we are. So I'm just excited to have a conversation with you. Thanks for taking time out of your day today. Oh my gosh, Graham, I'm so excited. Equally excited to be here and jam it out with you. Yeah, man. So um, we talked, I covered a lot of your incredible stuff in the intro, but can you just walk us through, you've gone through a lot. You've had some dark moments in your life. And I know I, I, I don't want to start there, but I want to start there because I really think it, your story will lend a lot of um, credibility and, and context for all the stuff you're talking about in your books and what we can talk about today. So maybe walk us through a little bit of your story and how it led to what you're doing now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think with a lot of entrepreneurship, it, we go into our, our dark moments and we have many of those sucky moments. It is a hard road and it often prepares you for some of those big highs, the high highs and the low lows. And I think for me, it started, uh, you know, as a young girl, I was I was literally probably, you know, preparing for a lot of my sucky moments that I would experience very early on in life. At 10 years old, I was 
a caretaker uh, to my mom. Uh, my mom and my dad, they were immigrants, and I grew up in Chicago. And so, uh, and so I was the oldest of three, and my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. So between the ages of 10 and 16, I definitely was in that caretaking mode. You know, I was the oldest, the oldest girl of the house, which meant I would support my dad in whatever, you know, chores, things like that. And she was in and out of the hospital for six years. I mean, until her cancer got really bad and it spread to, unfortunately, her lungs and her brain. And so, um, you know, I'm 14 years old, you know, teenager, freshman in like high school, all my friends are going out to the mall and because they did that stuff. And I'm literally after school tending to my mom in the hospital. Um, and then that's just kind of the life that I knew. And so, uh, you know, the last year of her life she spent in the ICU. So I knew what ventilators, you know, were before it was, you know, COVID and a thing, honestly. And that was, um, you know, it was obviously very traumatic. And so my mom died when I was 16 I definitely took up a lot of that responsibility. I uh, got my first job at 15 years old, my, I think my first two jobs at 15 to support my family. Um, and then a year after my mom died, uh, my brother suddenly died of an asthma attack and he was a year and a half younger than me. Yeah. And that was just, I mean, beyond belief, just so devastating. Uh, I mean, it was just awful and all of the emotions we were just I mean it was we were paralyzed uh because we had just lost our mom a year before that and um and so my dad went into this deep depression and I couldn't go away to college and so I stayed back to support my family um and unfortunately he died on my youngest brother's birthday so just talk about trauma 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 and then two years after that, when we thought, okay, finally, like the cloud, is this going to end? Is, are the blows going to just stop? Um, my dad was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. So, uh, so in a span of four years before I was 20 years old, I was 19, I would lose my mom, my brother, and my dad. And I literally had this chip on my shoulder you know, and, and you think, well, any entrepreneur that wants to succeed has this chip on their shoulder. I even talk about it in one of my books, my newest book, That Sucked, Now What? On why is it that many of us have a chip on our, our shoulder? I know that I needed something to prove. I had something to prove. I did yeah. not want society, people around me, our family members to pity my brother and I. And so that was really the initial start of many of the highs and lows of what I would get into later on in my 20s, I would become a cosmetic dentist. I went to dental school because, you know, as a Filipino Indian girl, uh, the career choices are doctor, dentist, lawyer, engineer. And I <laughs> wanted to make my the there ghosts of my parents proud. Mm. So I did that. I succeeded. I pushed, I pushed, I pushed. And that was my mantra was to constantly that was it was achieve mode and and so i did that and i you know i i charted my first seven figures before i was 30 i was one of the very first you know females in my class for sure but also very few kids in my dental class that would go on and buy a practice almost straight out of dental school um and i thought you know i made it 
I thought I'm like, all right, nobody can feel bad for me now. You know, I've mm. done it. And that was a really, uh, it was a really tough road because it came with all sorts of insecurities and many insecurities that I tried to swallow because I wanted to make myself so busy coping mechanism mm -hmm. 101. Um, and I wanted to really bury a lot of the dark, heavy feelings that I was, I didn't know how to grapple with, uh, you know, mental health with entrepreneurs is such a sensitive topic, obviously. And now it's coming out into the foray and, you know, it's what I've devoted much of my, you know, now work and my life's work to, but back then, you know, it's the, the mantra was keep going, keep going, keep yeah. going. And, you know, you see the memes, the motivational memes of the guy like running so fast in between mountains and, you know, very masculine. And, and I wanted to be that person. I'm mm. like, okay. And, you know, listening to like Tony Robbins in my dental, you know, in my yeah. car and just, you know, on my way to the dental office until I literally hit and, and hit rock bottom, I bursted. I had, I had a personal challenge in my life that I thought I could avoid and I could bury because I would keep busying myself in those numbers, busying myself in comparing my accolades, my success, and leading with that. Oh, I wasn't even 30, I was 28, you know, had my first million, et cetera had doctors working under me, um, you know, had a beautiful practice that I now owned, but I didn't really believe that I was worthy of having my name on that door because there were still some of those things wow. coming up. So it wasn't until it was December 31st where I would fully hit rock bottom because I had to face my deepest, darkest fear, which was uh, confronting my friends and family and even leaving my and admitting too that I was in an abusive relationship, an abusive mm. marriage, and uh, things happen really, really fast. And you know, to spare all the details, but the the crux of it was, I had to say three pivotal words, and that was, "I need help," mm. and "I need help" was literally the doorway to allowing my friends and family in telling my brother that I was keeping this really deep, dark secret. But if anybody has ever noticed or witnessed or been friends with somebody who's dating someone that they don't like or has felt that, I don't know about those two. Well, my family already kind of knew. You know, I was the only one that was really in denial. Mm -hmm. And I needed to go and take those brave and courageous steps to step out but it wasn't gonna happen until I hit rock bottom. And I was so afraid to tell, you know, my, the, the biggest fear I had was to tell my office, to tell the people that was working under me that, oh my goodness, I'm having this very private affair that is now just being public because I had to leave my house haphazardly. I had to file for a restraining order. I had to do adult things that I didn't wanna be confronted with because I wanted to busy myself in all of those accolades and that would reveal, you know, the next five years of my life and just a huge, huge awakening on so many levels to arrive at, you know, speaking to you today. Wow. You just, you, you had to grow up so fast. I mean, you dealt with any one of those things before the age of 19 would be 
a lot for any one adult to deal with. But as a, as a non fully adult yet, you were dealing with three times the amount of loss that anyone could probably even withstand. And you're the oldest, you said of your siblings. I'm the firstborn. Do you feel like you, I feel like as the firstborn, you're kind of set up to be that performer achiever already. And then gosh, you, the, the deck was stacked against you with wanting to take care of your siblings and then prove your, that to your parents that, you know, you're going to, I don't know, I'm putting words in your mouth, take up the mantle of the legacy of your family. Sure. To like, Did you feel all of that combined together? Oh my goodness. I mean, I think it comes, you know, as a fellow eldest, I think we can celebrate that it is, it's tough, you know, and it's, it's, there's so much pressure and there's, you know, your parents don't really know what they're doing when they're raising you because you're the firstborn. <laughs> so yeah. you're the guinea pig. <laughs> yeah, we're the guinea pig. And there is a lot of resilience that comes with that role. And I think that especially with the amount of loss and the amount of tragedy, the amount of adversity, the amount of setbacks, I felt like, you know, life was just given punches one after the other. I mean, there were times and I didn't realize it back then because you don't necessarily realize when you are in your darkest moments until you see contrast on the other side, until you maybe then fall in love again, or you get a win in your business or you get a, you know, that client, you know, stays on again. You're like, Oh, finally, yes, this is, this is progress. And for me, I didn't realize like how low I was until I could experience the other side of that, mm. like until I got married for the first time. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is what it feels like to have an amazing wedding and to have people just around you and celebrating joy and periods of joy where there's not like traumatic responses yeah. uh, because you're afraid that somebody else is going to die or you're going to get, a, a, you know, another phone call. Um and so my nervous system was so dysregulated, but I was so attuned to chaos growing up. I was so attuned to dysfunction because mm. there was so much happening and I had to keep the peace because, well, I needed to take care of my dad who was in depression. I needed to also take care of my brother um, as well because he was five years younger than me. So there were as you, as you know, as you're sharing, there were stacks, uh, against me in that way. But I think that it, the amount of life that I experienced definitely prepared me for that full rock bottom, full circle mm. moment, because many times, you know, I think with the amount of, um, interviews that I've had with entrepreneurs and my own research that I've done, and there was a, you know, I, I did, a, I interviewed about 500 leaders before my very first book came out because I was just so curious and I was a science geek in college. I was a chemistry major and, um, you know, and, and psych was a, was in human dynamics was just a big part of my life because I grew up having yeah. to, you know, see and be aware of how my parents were in their darkest times of their life and to see them transition was huge. And so it informed me and my curiosity around, well, how do, you know, successful people, successful, right? This is sure. a great podcast to talk about, uh, you know, the accolades and the achievements, but what do they deem as, you know, these characteristic traits that keep them moving through adverse moments? Because I'm like, I can't be the only one going through such pain and just a dark time. And it was resiliency. 
It was resilience. It was grit. And it was the ability to hold on, you know, grit when things are tough, not to let go. And back then I was told, Nita, you're resilient. You're strong. You're strong. But there wasn't space to actually say, but it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. And and that's kind of the full circle. I had to say that to myself when I was in rock bottom of a love relationship because many successful entrepreneurs, we neglect many times the romantic relationships or our interpersonal relationships with, with friends sure. because we're so focused on the medallion. We're so yeah. focused on that medal. Yeah. And so much so that we're willing to risk everything else because of the numbers, because the next you know hurdle. And then... You know, you see some of these, you know, these memes and end of year discussions that people have that why is it they, you know, didn't live the best life or, you know, some of these regrets of the dying was that they didn't live full out. They were so focused on some of the things that didn't go well that Mm. now their regret is not being able to spend time with, you know, their loved ones or to even formulate some of those relationships in the way that they could have. Yeah. Well, like, let's talk about resilience and grit. Like it's interesting because I feel like to your point as a first child, I, I had to grow up quickly. I I remember um, my mom and, and mom, if you're listening to this, we've talked about this. It's okay. I can talk about this on the podcast. I remember being five years old and my little brother being born because we were five years apart also. Mm-hmm. And my mom's saying, Graham, I'm so glad that you're such a big boy. Now you can help me basically take care of your little brother. And she basically kind of passed the mantle on and said, you're, you're grown up now. I'm now going to mother, you know, your little brother and I need your help and, and you can kind of help me co-parent. And she was at the time I felt like, Oh, this is great. Yeah. Mommy's like proud of me that I'm a big boy that I can take care of my little brother. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because that's almost the moment that you, I kind of stopped you know, being mothered in a, in a way. And it was like, I kind of carried that mantle from age five and I'm having to unpack this in counseling and yep. I realized, wow, that that's uh, the strength of that for me is that I'll go out and I'll be the first one in, in the family or in my group to go try something or do something. My wife and I moved a thousand miles away during the great recession to help some friends start a church. And I ended up starting a business after I lost my job and we're on food stamps. And I'm just like, well, well, this is scary, but we'll figure it out. And I'm realizing not everybody would go do that. And, right. and so that's a strength. But then the, the negative is that like, I'm always in like, I have to do this. I can do this. And if I can't do it, something's wrong with me, or I should figure it out privately to your point. It's hard to say I need help. Um, and it, I put so much pressure on myself. So I'm being, here's my vulnerable Graham counseling moment, but I, I, I see like resilience as such a great, wonderful thing. But to, my question is roundabout question is how do you know when it's not just resilience or grit that you need? It's, it's actually like, it can be harmful because you're just stubborn and you're just pushing through and you're not asking for the help. Or like you said, you're chasing the prize and you get it, but you, you lose everything else in the process. Oh that my makes gosh. Sense? Oh yes. Well, I, I love that you're, you know, you're speaking to that because I think that we've normalized the the push and the struggle and the it's gotta be hard and gritty all the time. And and while that was, you know, some of the findings in my first book, I wanted to revisit the definition that I think 
you know, is so appropriate for where we are in the stage and the season of life that we are in entrepreneurship and even in the world, you know, post pandemic, we have a mental health crisis. Well, it's probably because we haven't been okay with our emotions. We haven't been okay. We've been push, 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 and we've normalized it. We've, you know, society has deemed that as acceptable to push, 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 yet we haven't had the space and even, we don't even teach tools to how to actually be there for our loved ones or our friends going through a tough time. I mean, the biggest, you know, thing for me growing up without parents or having the big adversities that I had as a teenager, I did not want to be that teenager or that young person going to college, going to networking, you know, the school dance or, you know, any of those events as a teen and being the odd one out, the one that, oh yeah, she's the one that has the deaths or, you know, like young people didn't know how, how to even support, how to be there. And because we've normalized the let's get up, like get up as fast as you can. Let's go. Let's, let's go again. We don't even know how to be there for our friends that actually need our support, not even for ourselves, let alone our friends. And so what I define resiliency now, and even in my book, my newest book, That Sucked, Now What? How to Embrace the Joy and Chaos and Find Magic in the Mess, is if we take the Latin you know, root of resilience, it's called resiliere, and resiliere means to bounce back. Well, if I were to take something that's really strong, I mean, imagine, I don't know, granite or a brick, you know, and I hold it in my hand and I let that go, piece of granite, or maybe it's a glass, well, we could argue and say, well, that's really tough. That's strong. Is it going to break? Well, if I let that go, it's probably going to shatter, you know, versus if I were to take a basketball or one of those balls that we get for our kids, I have a, you know, two kids, one in three, one in four. And if we hold it, it has a little bit of agility. It has a little bit of bounce back. It has a little bit of a give. It has some flexibility. It's still tough, but it's also soft. And when it when we let it go, it tends to bounce, sometimes lower, sometimes higher. And that's how I define resiliency now and in my book is that we have to allow space for Yes, it is about mental toughness, but at the same time, it's also about our softness. It's about our compassion for ourselves. It's about the ability to take the moment to sit in the suck and to see, all right, what do I actually need right now? And that, you know, that's really, you know, where I've arrived in this season of being able to even support entrepreneurs and their mental health and in this dialogue, in this conversation of, I'm going to give you permission to actually sit in the suck. And most of the time, people are so afraid, especially entrepreneurs, that if they are sitting in what didn't go well or beating themselves up or they go into, you know, the far, you know, far left or far right, far extremes, and they say, you know, they they get into the self-critic or self-sabotage or I'm never going to do this again or gosh, who am I to do this? But no, if we're actually allowing ourselves that space, and I have so many different tools and so many different ways to actually process and embrace the suck, 
But literally all you need is sometimes maybe 30 seconds, 60 seconds. If in your, you're in a stressful moment, there are ways where we can actually, you know, take the weekend uh, to process. But at the very least, allow yourself to sit in that discomfort of that anxiety, of the overwhelm, of the defeat, of the loss, of the grief, of the rejection, the abandonment, the guilt. If we can allow ourselves to sit there instead of bury, mm. move forward, jump forward, you know, leap again, then those pain signals are still signals of discomfort of, all right, what do I need to gain or, or lean in to this? And instead of, you know, many times we're leaning in so far to be the best versions of ourselves, <laughs> now I'm even telling people to lie down, take mm. a breather. Give yourself that opportunity because aren't we so much better when we've given ourselves, you know, that space as entrepreneurs to contemplate and to think and to reflect. We're so in the, in the mad chaos because as entrepreneurs, we've been through a lot of stuff. And so we are primed and wired to take on a lot. And that is part of our character. It's great. Yet, can we also, if you're one to just keep, you know, going 160 miles an hour, can you actually slow down your brakes, pump your brakes and actually say, you know what? How did that make me really feel? Did I actually lose my shit again on somebody else? Did I emotionally just vomit on someone else where they didn't deserve that? Because I can't take the time to sit in my own discomfort that I have to project it outward. Hey friend, we'll get back to the episode in just a moment, but I wanted to give you a gift for hanging out with me today. I want to give you my 30-day online income jumpstart guide. This is a four-week checklist bullet points to go from zero audience, zero customers, maybe even zero idea of what your business should be to putting money in your pocket 30 days from now. It won't be a million dollars in 30 days, but it will be money in your pocket. You will have figured out your idea. You will have tested your idea. You will have launched your idea and taken massive action towards building a business and a life that you love. If you already know your business idea, but you've been sitting around and you haven't taken action on it, then you need this guy because it'll walk you through a four-week plan to go from where you are to putting money in your pocket in 30 days. And if you've never figured out what your business idea is and you have no followers online and no audience, it's okay. This will help you start at zero. I promise you. It's a PDF. It's fast. It's easy to read. It's not an ebook. You don't have to spend a lot of time on this. It's more about taking action and doing the right things in the right order. And it's free as my gift to you. So just go to grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart to get your 30-day online income jumpstart guide. It's grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart. Now back to the episode. Yeah, that's so good. Two things that have helped me, and I'm curious you know, what some of these tools are that you found to be most successful for your, your clients and yourself. It's, you, you mentioned them. One is space um, and not you know, packing your, your days or your weeks so full. I, I was on a call with Rich Litvin, and he said this something that just blew my mind. It's so obvious, but space is where miracles happen. And creating space to think, that's both positive, like where you can imagine the cool things you could create. Um, for me as a content creator, ideas, concepts, frameworks, and same thing for you, you know, as a, an author and speaker. Uh, but then also what you're talking about, the space to think about the, the, the narratives in our heads, both good or bad, 
something that just happened, space to process. So creating the space and then journaling, which I used to make fun of forever because mm-hmm. I have bad handwriting. It slows me down and I just didn't see the point. And uh, I've had to eat my words in the last 12 months as I've been very intentionally journaling every day. Um, and some days there's not much to journal. Some days there's a lot of good things. Sometimes there's a lot of processing of negative things. But for me, I found creating space to think and then journal, even if it's like, hey, I'm still struggling with, to the, my point earlier, earlier, like last week I was processing, I, I am operating under the assumption that the stakes are so high for everything I'm dealing with. The yeah. stakes are you know, exponentially higher than they should be. And so it's making me like anxious or like, you know, crabby or in a bad mood around something that's not, it's, it's got stakes, but they're not that high gram. So why are you putting so much emphasis and weight on X, Y, and Z? It could be uh, switching CPAs. And it's like, I have to find the right accountant because I've done this four times. And if I, I don't want to have to switch again, and I don't want to have to, you know, I want to get the right tax strategy. So it's like, okay, it's important, but it's just a CPA. It's just a decision. The stakes aren't that high. So I've been processing that as an example. So space, journaling, what for you has worked and for your clients, for yourself, some basic tools that people can use to take inventory of their mental health or maybe process a heavy thing or maybe a small thing that's just nagging them or low level anxiety? Yeah. Well, so in, so in that suck now, what after each of the chapters, I actually have a reflection corner and the biggest thing, and it's, you know, it's, it's inspired by my POC. It's a POC check-in and POC actually stands for personal observation check-in. And this is what you can do. And I've told students, clients, you know, even boardroom talks, uh, to actually, if you have 30 minutes at the end of each day, and it's great, it's kind of like, you know, your your end of day release, and it could be an end of day ritual that you have, because rituals versus routines, rituals, you can make a sacred, and this could be your sacred kind of coming inward practice. Some people like to do it once a week. I like to, if you can, have that space, and if you don't have littles like, like I am, and uh, in depending on the season and stage of life, it's great to have this ritual because you can actually just ask yourself. I mean, there's two questions. What went well today? What are we celebrating? And, and people think people have a really hard time with this because Mm. it's like, Oh, it's gotta be something big that I'm celebrating. No, it could, you could be celebrating the fact that you failed at something, the fact that there was a setback and, the fact that something didn't go well. We don't celebrate our failures enough. Mm. And I know that in entrepreneurship, many times, and when I used to advise, you know, uh, startup founders who are backed by VCs, they wanted to fail because that was another data point. That was another data point to make sure and get their product crystal clear. Well, many times as entrepreneurs, you know, those failures can be the next data point to what we want to add on or modify or delete or shift or change in ourselves. But instead of those metrics, what went well in our life? What didn't go so well? Did we have a a conversation that could have been better, right? And this is just, how am I actually feeling? Was I spending time with people that were energizing with me today or depleting? Mm -hmm. And how was I after the fact. And so, and there's, you know, probably a list of five to 10 questions that I typically have, but it's, it can be as easy as how are you feeling today? And on a scale of one to 10, 
if, you know, and, and there are people who struggle with their mental health, they struggle with even admitting that something is going on. And so then they bury. And so mm -hmm. this can be very uncomfortable for some because they don't want to go there. But I invite you to go there and see how long you could probably sit in that. I mean, our, our tears are good indicators of oxytocin and it releases cortisol and cortisol yeah. is that stress hormone hormone. So if we are fighting back tears, you know, I, I'd, I'd probably want to, uh, challenge you on that. And, and anytime anybody's had, you know, a, a, a big cry, um, you know, they've always shared like, gosh, I feel so much better afterwards. Feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in in the in in the science benefits are there because yeah. it is releasing cortisol. We're literally releasing the cortisol. And and I think we're not allowing ourselves that because it's not normalized to sit in that suck. And that is part of it. You know, it's to embrace the suck, to sit in the suck, whether it's 30, 60, 90 seconds. Uh sometimes 5 minutes, sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes a day. But then also what is it that you are leaning in from that moment and how can we actually transform that sucky moment into something else? And this could look like uh, a ritual like you provided, which is, you know, journaling is great. One of the things that I really love for extroverts is to be able to articulate how are you feeling out loud? Mm. Because many times we're often ruminating in our thoughts and we're thinking kind of the worst things like, oh gosh, I can't believe that just happened or why did I do that? Or it's in our head. Mm. But then when we say, I am actually feeling stressed out or I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling jealous that somebody else is, I'm working just as hard and, and there's, there's just took off even faster. To even say that allows us to regulate into mm. just let it out. It's kind of like that pressure cooker or we, you know, when yeah, you have the pressure exactly valve feeling, and we're just yeah. Re yeah, releasing the pressure off just by sometimes articulating it. So, uh, so that's where that's I powerful. Start. I mean, the whole idea of, you know, talking to yourself versus listening to yourself, you know, and I am, I have the constant inner critic and I, and I overthink and things swell in my mind, but when I say them out loud, so I'll, I'll process verbally with my wife, let's say at the end of the day, or if I write it out and I see it, wow, I'm feeling X or to your point, I'm jealous of so-and-so. Like when you just articulate it and I don't, this might not be for everybody, but I have such a, that older brother, uh, do the right thing mentality that I don't even want to say like the, those feelings. I would never even want to admit that I am, let's say jealous of somebody or like, because it seems wrong and it's, yeah. it's so implicit like it. So I don't even allow myself to say those things. But when you do, that is so much of a release to your point of, oh yeah, that, that is what I'm feeling. And it is just a data point. It's neither good nor bad. And it's not this big monster in my head. So I think it does clarify and reduce the pressure when you, when you say it to so talk to yourself, don't listen to yourself. Um, I, it's interesting. Your, your questions, I think were so helpful. What worked today? What went well? What didn't uh, my wife and I do that every January. Like we look back at the year and we have like a, you know, at home date night, right? We'll get a glass of wine and we'll just say, okay. And this is when my kids were your kids his age. There was a longer list of what felt didn't go well than we did go well. Cause we just were like so stressed and you don't know what you're doing. And the, the kids they're, they're wonderful, but they just demand so much attention and energy. And uh, they don't give you a whole lot of like 
love back in the way like you're doing a great job mom you're just so killing it i appreciate all that you're doing for me but we would have that list of and we'd always start with what went well for us because we, we knew we wanted to jump to what didn't go well so we would force ourselves so you know what the kids are healthy they're alive um you know chloe made friends she's adapting to pre-k or whatever it would be we would and then we oh we took that trip we saw your brother we had some good family time we did whatever and it's just acknowledging and the same thing what didn't work well was helpful for us that's how we continued to shape our marriage the way we raise our mm -hmm. kids was saying okay well last year this didn't work so well and that's that's no bearing has no bearing on us and our value as parents it's just a data point of you know what we would like to have more date nights because what didn't work well was date night and i remember one year specifically saying i know this has nothing to do with entrepreneurship but just the application one year we said date night's not working so what do we have to do to have a regular date night can we find one babysitter that we can just get on retainer and say, we will pay you every week. We'll pick a night of the week that's convenient for you. If Tuesday, if you don't want to give up your weekends, we'll do Tuesday date night. That's fine. Just when can you come every week and we don't have to hope you're available. We'll pay you. And that changed everything just by admitting, you know, that didn't work well last year. And so I love that you're saying do that every day, even for 30 minutes. I call that the landing the plane time of day. Like I can't just go from an email or even a powerful interview like this with you and just leave I need to like stop for a second as an introvert to like collect my thoughts uh, mm -hmm. before I leave the office and go back in the home. Even if that's just leaving the home office and stepping across the threshold to the living room, like I need to have that moment, right? Oh, totally. I mean, every single morsel, I, it just, it's, it's so important for us to have whatever works well you know, for us. And I think for a while, for me, it was journaling for a very long time. And, and since having my second daughter, and of course we are in the, the thickness of it, yep. I've had to learn how to externally process because I was sometimes holding my, one of my kids in my hand, the other one, you know, in a, in a carrier on my back. And I'm like, all right, what is not going well for me right now? Yep. <laughs> this is my journal time. And out of that, I, you know, I shared it on uh, one of the calls that I had with, uh, with a community that I was leading at the time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so brilliant because it actually, it, it encourages introverts to get out of their shell because many times we ruminate up here either way. And then also uh, for extroverts to sometimes, you know, externally process. And that was the most cathartic way. In fact, I actually wrote my book that way. Wow. I wrote I this last book that way because when we had sold this particular book that sucked now what to the publisher, my daughter was two days old. She was in the hospital and we, you know, we're just healing wow. and she just, just been born. And, uh, two months later I took the two months off, but then I started with my team and I said, all right, ask me these questions, but I want you to come up with, you know, to pull this out of me and pull this book out of me. And, it was such a it was such a healing process because I was able wow. to nurse her. I was able to you know yeah. walk and um, and many times when we are kind of uh, up and walking and moving our bodies, we're also embodying the the insights that we have, and which yeah. is why I think even in terms of our mental health when we are going through a sucky moment, uh, you know, one of the ways to embrace the suck when we transform the suck is to get up, to move, 
whatever it looks like for you. But sometimes we need that fresh air. Sometimes it is just a processing walk to call a friend or somebody or, you know, your loved one and say, I need to, you know, say this out loud or to even, I've used this and I don't know if you've done this, Graham, but to even record a voice note to yourself so that, you know, you're starting to orate what, uh, you know, sometimes we have these deep, dark thoughts and, and it's nice to, to do it in that way. I think that's so good. Movement always unlocks stuff in my brain. I go for like six mile walks, like three times a week out here on the the river downtown. And then it's funny voice memos. I'll go to, if I go to a conference or a part of something where you're just, you're ingesting so much information and this isn't even processing bad things, but just even processing information and data. um, I find that like, I'll go back into my hotel room and just verbally process what my insights were, you know, so-and-so like Nita said this in, in a talk and like she had this analogy of this story and I'm just sort of verbally catching what's in the moment, what's coming up for me, what's stuck, you know, cause you lose so much of it and then you can go back and pull it out or transcribe it. But there's something about speaking it. I love that. And motion. I saw my wife was telling me she saw a guy when she was on a walk just last week who had a buddy with him and it's like he was walking. It's almost like he was doing what you're doing with the book. Like he was like, ask me questions. And he was holding up the phone and recording the answers to it. And so she was like, that's just so funny, but it's probably how he gets the stuff out of his mind. But I love that. Um, I want to get to this real quick. I know we're uh, short on time, but in the book, you talk about something called the bounce factor and you alluded to it earlier about, you know, being able to bounce back is different than being something that's so hard, so rigid that when you're up against pressure, things crack or break. Can you just briefly explain what the process is and the bounce factor so yeah. people have something to kind of maybe a framework to, to remember? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, this is what I kind of share. This is like the, the pivotal portion of the book. It's part two of the book where you know, you've had your magical moment that sucked. You probably don't think it's so magical. You probably still think it's a big sucky moment. And many times for people who are, you know, on the path to either build their resiliency, maybe they've gone through a couple of hurdles, business woes, things aren't going well, it's still not going well. Well, here's kind of a way to unpack that. And it is to recognize and strengthen your bounce factor. And most of the time, you know, when we are looking at what didn't work in the past, you know, whether it's looking at our upbringing, whether it's looking at how we played a role. And I loved where you started, you know, taking ownership. You're like, I was the eldest and it was, you know, kind of in my trajectory to take on the reins. And that's literally what I did. Most people don't even have that self-awareness to Mm. unpack their upbringing. So the first part of this is to look at, you know, if, and it's okay if you don't want to look at your upbringing, but maybe just some of the patterns that have brought you to where you are in your business today. So the first part is, you know, kind of looking and peeking underneath the hood of, well, what were you told around, you know, leadership or entrepreneurship as a kid or what has money. motivated you, right? Yeah. And, and and even about money in the past that, or success or accolades or achievement. So this is all under the umbrella of really looking into either your past of what didn't work. And, you know, this is some of the things that I used to advise even startup founders to look at some of the past failures and see what were some of those patterns. It could also go back into maybe you were nine years old and you started that first 
lemonade stand or, you know, I, I remember selling clothes out of my closet, you know, at 12 years old, that was like, like the first thing that I did, I wrote about it in my book. Uh, and so you, you learn from that, but that also me selling my clothes from my closet, I didn't become the, the personal shopper, uh, but it also gave me confidence. And that's mm. a first story that I can remember vividly around confidence that I could actually make money out of the things that I had in my closet. Yeah. And so upbringing is really important to see, you know, how were the boys in your family treated? How are the women in, the, in your family treated? Did that give you a chip on your shoulder about the, what, you know, women can be doing, what men can be doing, maybe some of your adverse moments. So unpacking all of that and making peace with it, making peace, what didn't go well and what actually did and what contributed to where you are today and like own it fully. And so that's the first piece. The second piece is looking at your current environment. And I love this so much because entrepreneurs really love this because they're like, all right, bring on the fun and the good stress. This is where if you are in a current environment where maybe you have friends that have come along the way, maybe you don't, maybe you're starting the solo journey, you've left corporate, you're doing this on your own, and it is lonely AF. And I remember, you know, I, I couldn't resonate with my friends who were still associates as, as dentists, because I had the responsibility of like, you know, taking care of and paying payroll for all these yeah. people that I had, making sure patients were coming in the door. This is my first, you know, um, uh, career. And that was a lot of pressure. I felt lonely a lot. And, and the only colleagues that I had that I knew that were doing the things that I was, they were like 30 years senior to me. They were my parents' age. Yeah. And I felt like it wasn't really the right connection or the right fit. I just honestly felt a lot of times lost. Uh, and so, but to step out of that and actually invite good stress. So to say yes to difficult conversations. I mean, we do this on a, you know, physical standpoint by stressing our body by going to, you know, weight lift and going to the gym and doing our cold plunges and, you know, meditating. And, and this is good stress because it actually changes the DNA. It changes our cells. It primes our neurons to actually do more, right? But when we are also allowing ourselves to sit in the discomfort of that feeling, also good stress. When we're allowing ourselves to actually call that person, probably an interpersonal relationship or a friendship or a love relationship, and actually tell them how we feel, mm -hmm. that is also stretching us. Yeah. And so that brings me to the third pillar, which is your emotional capacity, and really allowing ourselves to feel the duality of both. Like we can be so excited as entrepreneurs, but we can also be reserved. We can also be very confident, but in some circles, we can be you know, the quite the opposite can be insecure. And so to actually embrace that this is not just, you know, all shades of, you know, gray or, or sorry, black and white, but there actually can be varying shades of gray. And that can be magical where we can feel the opposite and the paradox of our emotions because we're human. And then finally, you know, it's that, um, that, that radical self-awareness, our RSA. And our RSA, I think as entrepreneurs, especially when we are starting out, it is very hard because it's so easy to 
look and see what other X person's doing or Y person's doing or a competitor's doing or the person that maybe started six months ahead of you, a year ahead of you, two years ahead of you. And you're like, man, I'm so behind in the game. I wish I could have started this earlier. Why didn't I do it that way or this way? And we look outward and social scientists really, you know, they, they talk about two different, um, and talk about a locus of control, which is the external locus of control, which majority of us humans, we want that validation from other people. Sure. But as an entrepreneur, you know, we have to really lean into that internal locus to really trust our instincts, to really trust our our North Star, it, whatever that, you know, however it shows up for us, to, but to lean into that, that, yeah, we're going to make some mistakes. But we're going to also tune in and practice building the muscle of RSA, of radical self-awareness, to be able to say, you know what, that's great that it worked for them, but I'm actually okay where I'm at right now. I'm going to enjoy the journey. And, I'm, and I know what I'm creating is so incredible and it's so impactful, but it's just going to take the time that it takes. And I'm here for the ride. And that, all of that comprises your bounce factor. Mm. That was, that was a lot. Uh, and then we could unpack all of, all of that, which is in the book. I love that last part though. I think, you know, running your own race. Um, so it's so hard these days, so important. I, and I've, I know I've benefited so much in a way of having my head down and just saying, this is what I'm created to do. And this is what I, to your point, I'm intuitively feeling makes sense. And it never helps me to look at what other people are doing. I, I tell the story that like I've unsubscribed from business partners newsletters because I would be jealous of my own friends and business partners and other things are doing. I'm like, I can't even, I can't even look at what you're doing, bro. So I, I was like, I'll unsubscribe and not tell you that I'm no longer on your email list for a season because I know my insecurities. And so anyway, know yourself. I love that. Um, I, I have so many other things I want to ask you. I'll just have to have you back on another time. But um, to, to wrap up the episode of Bring It Home, there's a segment we do called the Golden Rule segment. Um, and it's real simple. You've got two beautiful kids. Um, you're teaching them a lot and going to teach them a lot They're but they're going to forget a lot. And if they happen to forget everything you ever taught them, you and your husband ever taught them, except for one piece of advice or one piece of wisdom that they would carry it with them for the rest of their lives, much like a golden rule, what would you want that to be for them? Oh, be brave to suck at something new every single day because that will unlock the greatest opportunity for your growth, for expansion, and even for your healing. That's beautiful. I love that. Mm. I love that. And that tees up so well. <laughs> Check out your, her podcast, The Brave Table. Perfect segue. Check out The Brave Table podcast and, um, and the book, That Sucked and Now What. Um, Nita, this has been amazing. Thanks for having the conversation and taking time out of your day. And, and your hat looks great, by the way, too. Thanks for oh, that thank if you're watching you. our video. I'll have to, I'll have to get you a hat that fits your I know. head. Yeah. <laughs> this has been Thank wonderful. You. I appreciate you sharing so much. And I know your stuff is so valuable to everyone that's listening and uh, wishing you all the success in your career and your family. Thank you so much, Graham. It was such an honor to be here and pour into your community today. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the show. It wasn't Dr. Nita Bouchon incredible. I loved her conversation. I loved her transparency. Um, and she's brilliant. So if you want to dive in deeper with her material, check out the Brave Table podcast. Pick up her latest book, That Sucked. Now, what? we'll link to all those things in the show notes below the YouTube video here uh, and in the description as well on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you're having an amazing week, and we'll see you on another episode real soon.